chapter 13 this morning, please. Hebrews chapter 13. My wife and I, Tuesday night, went to dinner with the, uh, the group from Majesty Music, the, the Patch the Pirate people, and they get in about 7 o'clock Tuesday night, and we met them, and we got to the parking lot just about the same time, and, and Adam and Megan Morgan got out of the camper, and we were just kind of introducing each other to ourselves and talking, and she said to her husband, I just, I, don't feel, I just feel kind of plugged up and congested. He said, yeah, me the same thing. I said, well, welcome to Nebraska in October. This, this is kind of how we live, so <clears throat> should have seen it coming. Let's go ahead and stand, please. We're going to begin back up in verse number 7, a passage that we had dealt with a while back, and read down to verse number 17. Although verse number 17 will pretty much exclusively be our passage this morning. Hebrews 13, 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing for the heart to be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar where they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give to us ears that hear and eyes that see and hearts that understand your word. And I pray this, Father, not only for the people, but I pray it for myself. That we all would do that which you have told us to do. And we pray this, Father, not just for those of us at Westwood Heights, but for all of your people around the world. That... Our joy would be full. And I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, I went back to verse number 7 because it seems to deal with the same exact subject as verse number 17, although it really, 
It does and it doesn't. Verse number 7, if you remember, is referring us, all of us, backward to previous spiritual leaders, not necessarily former pastors, but but to, in many ways, to the, to, the, to the writers of the scriptures, to Bible writers, to remember them which have the rule over you, which have spoken unto you the word of God, to those who have taught. And then the pastor gives a series of instructions to New Testament saints that are certainly anchored in Old Testament familiarity, but we also are worshipers. There is a right way to worship. There are right things to believe in the New Testament. And then the pastor brings us to verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls. Or a repetition. And if you recall, this is actually the second of three times in the 13th chapter that the people of Hebrews are directed towards those who are their spiritual leaders that they are to be remembered as well. Verse number 24, salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. But I thought perhaps it would be to our prophet this morning just to spend our time talking about verse number 17. None of us would be served... if we were to misread it and to misunderstand it. In other words, if I came to you and said, I'm the pastor, verse number 17 says you have to listen to me, do what I say. And you went, oh, okay. None of us are well served by that. The misreading of it and the misapplication of it and the misunderstanding of it benefit no one. And of course, we live in the internet world and so every infraction of pastoral abuse is spread, magnified, highlighted. Some of us have our roots in a fundamentalism that was characterized by excesses of pastoral abuse. So that adds dimension to it. But another good reason for giving our attention to it, folks, is that we have to be realistic. There is nothing that cuts across the grain of our sinful nature. There is nothing more repulsive to the mindset of American culture than to have somebody else tell you what to do. We do not like to be told what to do. We didn't like it when our moms and dads told us what to do. We probably didn't like it when our teachers told us what to do. We're probably not very happy when our bosses tell us what to do. We're probably not very pleased when the police officer directing traffic tells us what to do. We're not particularly thrilled when the road signs and the road workers tell us what to do, well, I like to be told what to do. And there is some kind of a peculiar, I don't know whether the word is admiration of envy at people that we think don't answer to anybody. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. 
And here's a Bible verse that says somebody's going to tell you what to do. And this is what God wants. And I guess my point is that there are legitimate reasons for this on both sides of the equation. As the follower, God speaks to this. And as one who has some of the responsibility to be the leader, the Bible speaks to this. And the Bible is very clear, folks, that Christianity is not simply an individual thing. That, again, one of my favorite targets recently is, right, contrary to all of the internet memes, that you can just have a Bible and read it and find out for yourself what it says and you don't need church and you don't need the people of God and it's just going to be me and Jesus. The Bible is very insistent that that is not the way it's going to be. That God's people are a genuine family and that there's times when the family is supposed to come together and that the family has responsibilities towards each other and no genuine manifestation or possession of Christianity can exist without that. So the emphasis of the verse, folks, and let me just point this out at the beginning, that the entire focus of the verse is directed towards those who follow. Very little of the tension is put upon those who lead. And I say that because, right, one of our natural questions is going to be, well, I'm supposed to follow, but what about the leader? And, of course, we have passages like 1 Timothy 5 that speak specifically to the leader's And what I'm going to do is to wander away from the exact text of 1 Summer 17 a little bit to incorporate some of what God says to those who lead into the picture. But let's just begin with this, because this is the focus and the direction of the text. What is the responsibility of those who are followers of Christ with reference to those who have authority over them in that area? Obey them that have the rule over you and submit to yourselves for they watch for your souls. These are not political leaders. These are not corporate leaders. These are not social activist leaders. These are people who have charge for your soul. So let's begin by talking, first of all, if we could, folks, about the word obey. Obey them that have the rule over you. Obey them. Sometimes the words obey or obedience and submit or submission are synonymous. Sometimes they mean the same thing. And so it would not be a stretch for us to read verse 17 in that light, obey them and submit. Synonyms. Two different words describing the same thing. But in this case, that would not be true. And so we really need to give some, I feel like we, I really want to give some time to explaining the word Obey. I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. If you would like to take your Bible and turn with me, you can look at the verses. 
But I want to begin in Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 20. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 20. Because the word obey, and of course we know that this is a translation of a Greek word, and I'm pointing out to you the same Greek word in other texts, and the way our translators have translated that word, obey them that have the rule over you. Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 20, but the chief priests and elders, here's the word, persuaded. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas, and destroy Jesus. So what is obey in Hebrews 13:17 is persuade in Matthew 27:20 or Matthew 27:43 as Jesus hangs upon the cross. Here is part of the way in which he is reviled. He trusted. There's the word. Obey Hebrews 13:17 persuade Matthew 27, 20, trust, Matthew 27, 43. Or Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 14. As the religious leaders are trying to figure out what to do with an empty tomb. Part of their solution is to lie. Matthew 28, 14, and if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So persuade, Matthew 27, 20. Trust, Matthew 27, 43. Persuade, Matthew 28, 14. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40. And to him they agreed. There's the word. And to him they agreed. To be persuaded. To place your trust in. To be persuaded. To agree. And then I will not have you turn to it. But let me just read to you Acts chapter 12. And verse number 20. Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord. But they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus the king Chamberlain their friend. Their friend. Desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. That's far from all the uses in the Bible. But you get the idea. And now let me add this grammatical note. In Hebrews 13, 17, the verb obey is placed in what is is written in what is known as the middle voice tense. And in the middle voice, the action is placed back upon the one to whom the command is given. In other words, folks, it is not my task to get you to obey. It is your task to obey. But if you consider all of the ways that the word has been used to this point, you have a different idea of what it means to be obedient. It means to be persuaded. 
It means to be friendly towards. It means to be in agreement with. If I could put it in our language, folks, you have got to buy into this idea that your pastor or your pastors, whoever they are, are looking out for your spiritual well-being. You have to believe that. You have to be convinced of that. You have to be certain of that. This is where it all begins. You're buying into the idea that that person who is speaking to you the Word of God is genuinely looking out for the well-being of your soul. Obey. All of the weight falls on you because it just, it cannot fall anywhere else. I mean, if you just sat out there, folks, and you looked at me and you thought, this guy is just a huckster. I heard a prominent man say recently on the internet, I mean, this is a man who is so close to the kingdom of God, but one of the things that he said is that I, as I've listened to people speak the Bible, it seems to me that they don't believe what they say. This is where it begins with a persuasion. And in this case, right? What, and we're going to get to this. This man has been speaking to these people. Things that are very complex biblically. You can't, you can't listen to the book of Hebrews, folks. And play solitaire at the same time can't do it and he has been speaking to these people things that are very sobering in their impact and the only way that there's going to be a right response on the part of those people is if they really in their own spirit and mind and heart think that this man is looking out for them spiritually that he is trying to function as the guardian of their soul. Obey. And back to the text, having been persuaded, submit. Having been persuaded, submit. And even this is not the normal word, submit, It simply means to yield. Right? So there is some work to do on the part of those who are listening to what is being spoken. And it's not simply, folks, right? What we're doing, what I do, what I endeavor to do, I'm not saying I was successful at this, but what I'm endeavoring to do, folks, is more than just simply communicate facts to you. Here's a recitation of biblical facts that perhaps you hadn't considered or that you hadn't seen. Right? God wants us to live in a certain way. He wants us to think in a certain way. He wants to embrace some things and reject other things. 
He's going through this. We, I mean, we have just, right? I mean, we have dealt with this so extensively in the pastoral epistles that how we live matters and it shows up on the doctrine. It, it reflects upon the things that we say we believe. So be persuaded that those who are an authority over you are looking out for the well-being of your soul and then yield to what they say. Well, what would that submission look like? What would yielding look like? And we're going to return to that because, right, there are some things that the pastor has been telling the people to do. But broadly, it's going to involve a couple of things, folks, right? It's going to involve an internal element, which is a genuine persuasion, not a begrudging accommodation. That what is at stake is the well-being of people's souls. That's an internal conviction. This is going to be, again, a part of the obedience, being persuaded. I mean, you know, if you, if you go to your physician and he tries to get you to do something, right, you, you, you kind of got to believe that he's looking out for, the, for your health, right? I mean, if you think, I'm going to go see this guy because i got to go see this guy, but the only thing he really wants is my money. He doesn't care. Then, 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 then the conversation is doomed from the get-go. Or if you meet with a financial planner who says, here's how I think you ought to invest your money. And you think, all this guy's trying to do is, all he's trying to do is, is arrange my finances so he can maximize his income off of my investments. Right? It's doomed from the outset. If you don't believe that he is reliable and he is committed to the task at hand, then the whole thing is doomed. But there is also, folks, an external element. We, are, we, we manifest our yieldedness by doing what we are told. So for those who our followers be persuaded that someone is looking out for your soul and then yield to what they're saying. So let's just step away from the text then briefly and talk about those who are leaders. What about those who lead? And and actually there are a couple of things that are implied or suggested in the text itself in verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you. So I've already made mention of the fact that the the grammar of the verb obey places the responsibility back upon the one who is doing the obeying. Now, here's Here's where the life of the pastor, right? Or the pastors, the group of pastors, or the group of leaders comes in, right? There has to be credibility in their life. 
there has to be some dimension on the part of the congregation that they are endeavoring to live what they say. There has to be some consistency. But the responsibility is for you to be persuaded. Now there's another grammatical note here, and that is that those that have the rule over you means those that have been given the rule over you. Pastors do not pastor, whether it be one pastor or multiple pastors, whether it be anonymous pastors, and I mean pastors that are virtually unknown in the world, or pastors with large followings in the world. They're all in the same boat if they're genuine ministers of God, and that is that they are responding to an assignment. They didn't fight their way to the top. They didn't finagle their way to the top. They didn't conduct a campaign to get themselves into that office. They are recipients of an assignment. Let me just read to you some verses because this is characteristic of the entire Bible story. 2 Samuel 7, 4, it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan. Where did Nathan get his authority? The word of the Lord came to him. 1 Kings 16, 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jehu the son of Hanani. And it came to pass, 1 Kings 18.1, after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Jeremiah 1.2, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. Ezekiel 1.3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest. It was God's choice that out of 12 tribes, one would be the tribe that would speak to the people spiritually and minister to them spiritually. And in the New Testament, we have God calling certain men, separate me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I have called them. We have Ephesians 4, God giving the gift of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors. And of course we have necessary qualifications imposed because again, the pastor is not supposed to live out as his lifestyle a life that is contrary to the message he preaches. And we have congregations who are involved in the process and who are authorized, if necessary, to call their leaders into account Acts 14, we see the involvement of the congregation. 1 Timothy 5, we see the authorization of the congregation to respond to ministers who find themselves out of line. So this idea, folks, I don't think any of us embrace this. I hope I've never come across this way, that that I'm the pastor and therefore I'm always right by virtue of the fact of being the pastor and that you have to do everything that I say is not rooted in the Scriptures. And secondly, to go back to the text, right? The text is heavily focused upon those who are following 
but there are implications for those who lead. Grammatically, they are responding to an assignment. And then the, the pastor talks about the scope of their authority, who watch for your souls. Now look, folks. Where is the one place in all the world that you would find the one entity that is concerned about your soul? And that is the church. There are many institutions that are concerned about your money, about your behavior, about your productivity. But there is only one place that is concerned about your soul, and that is the church. That is the way that it is supposed to be. That is the way that the Lord has designed it to be. And the way that God deals with the soul of his people is by ministering to them his word. Always, 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 God is talking to his people. We will read it this evening in Titus chapter 1. That from before the foundation of the world, God has decreed that he would manifest or bring out into the open his word through preaching, through its proclamation. This is at the heart of the Great Commission. That disciples are those who are being taught to observe all things that the Lord has commanded. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles gave themselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. And Paul will tell Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. So those who lead, right, obey them that have the rule. They rule under God's authority, by God's assignment, not by, not by personality, not by power, not by patronage. And they rule by teaching and instructing the Word of God. Look, folks, we could have, and, and I'm, just, I'm just being goofy, right? We could have a thousand ex- conversations about what kind of car you ought to drive. But I don't have any authority over what kind of car you drive. It's not my scope. We might converse. You might ask my opinion. I've told you the story. I love to tell the story about Jim Brace, one of a, just a faithful, dear servant of the Lord and one of the best guys I've ever known. We were standing out there talking one, I think it was a Wednesday night at church. He said, Pastor, just love you so much. If you only drove a Chevy. And Jim was a big GM guy, and he had been a race car guy. He'd been involved in NASCAR in the early days of NASCAR, and he was a mechanic, and he loved cars. And guys that love motors tend to love Chevys. Oh, Pastor, if you only drove a Chevy. We can have 100 conversations about sports and sports teams. 
But it's not my place to tell you what the best team or what the best sport is. The scope of my authority is relatively limited. Now, it might be a conversation about the way your involvement with sports is in conflict with the Bible or your involvement with cars is in conflict with the Bible. But it is your soul that is by calling that which is the pastor's focus and sphere. They do not micromanage the people and they certainly don't. And this was the world in which I grew up, in which the pastor of the church would say to us fairly regularly, all I want is veto power. I do not have veto power over your life. No place in any of the scriptures have I been given that kind of power. I watch for your soul. There are things that go on in the world, folks, that are detrimental to people's souls, and it is the task of the church to speak to them. There are things in the world that are beneficial for people's souls. It is the task of the church to speak to them. And again, not just to be an information center, but to be an encourager, and sometimes to be, unfortunately, more than an encourager, a corrector. So those who follow need to be persuaded that those who lead are looking out for their soul. And those who lead need to be aware that their task is to watch out for the soul of those who follow. So then back to Hebrews thirteen seventeen. What about the profitability? Obey them, be persuaded about them that have the rule over you and yield because you really believe they're looking out for your soul. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. So now we have the motivation for yielding. Right? There is the persuasion of yielding, and now there is the motivation to yield. And here is the motivation that it will be joyful for you when the leader is judged. As I mean, it's, it's kind of an interesting construction, isn't it? it? I mean, I would write it, obey them that have the rule over you as they that watch for your souls because when you answer to God, but that's not the way the verse reads. Obey them that have the rule over you so that when they give an account, So that those who watch for the souls of their followers give an account 
at some level. And, and, and what the mechanics of this look like and how this exactly works, the, the text of Scripture just doesn't really tell us. I think the presumption of the verse, folks, is that those who lead have been faithful in teaching the Word of God to the people. We're going to come back to Hebrews, but let me ask you to turn. We're going to look at two passages, and some of you have probably already been thinking about them. So, right? Jump ahead a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 3. Or let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 1. The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Taking the oversight thereof not by constraint but willingly. Right, So he can't do it begrudgingly but voluntarily. Not for filthy lucre. Not as a pathway to riches but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Right, so those who lead, right? This is, this is part of the responsibility. And by the way, folks, if I can just make this observation, it's a very heavy responsibility. It is quite honestly a responsibility I would just as soon not have. But it is a responsibility that Peter addresses and Paul addresses that the pastor is supposed to live in a way that the people can look at that and have some idea of what living out doctrine looks like. Now the pastor then will receive his own judgment and I don't think that's what's being addressed here in this passage. James tells us to not be many masters knowing that we will receive the greater condemnation. It's not a different standard but it is a harsher expectation of conformity to the standard. But again folks, to go back to Hebrews thirteen seventeen, that doesn't seem to be the gist of the judgment. The judgment is not a judgment of how well he led, but what his listeners did to what he ta- with what he taught. So certainly a pastor will be judged for how well he led. James 3.1. But it also appears that pastors will give some recitation of what their congregations did. Hebrews 13.17. Right? That's the way the appeal is made to you. Obey them that have the rule over you. Submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. If the follower follows, right? So if the pastor is faithful, right? Here's the, here's the scenario. On the presumption that the pastor is faithful to proclaim what God said, And I think upon the provision that the pastor doesn't become his own worst enemy. 
by living on a regular basis a contradiction of what the Bible says. And those who are the followers yield to what is said. Again, not to his word. Right? The pastor is not the guy who has the strongest opinion. He's the guy who is the teacher and the instructor of what God says. And the people then yield to that. Then it will go well with them. So let me, with that, let me ask you to turn to one other passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And you know, of course, that Paul had a very troubled relationship with the Corinthian people. A church that he had started, that he had pastored for a year and a half. And of course, he'd had all kinds of problems, and he's writing to them, if you remember, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and the 1 and 2 in the early parts of the of the chapter that in fact he makes reference to it here that 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 there was such tension between them that rather than come and confront them he deliberately stayed away so that verse number 23 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 moreover i call god for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet into Corinth. I stayed away in attempts to mitigate the tension. Not, verse number 24, not for that we have dominion over your faith. I don't rule your faith, folks. But are helpers of your joy but are helpers of your joy. Which ties right into Hebrews 13, 17. As they that must give account that they may do it with joy. Folks, if I genuinely have your soul and its best interests at stake, and we're genuinely ministering the Word of God, what could have a happier conclusion what could end up in more rejoicing in your life at the very end than to do as much of the things that God has instructed as is possible? But on the other hand, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, that they may do it with joy and not with grief. And the idea of the word grief is sighing and groaning is what the word actually means. So, I mean, you can just kind of, I mean, you, you, you can, I don't think that it's a stretch in our imaginations. And by the way, folks, I've had pastors. Right? I've had pastors. I've, I've been a church member. I've been a pastor a lot longer than I've been a congregant, parishioner. And again, I don't really know the mechanics of how this is all going to work out. But but I don't think that it's a stretch that there's going to be some guy who is my pastor who's giving account and the Lord's going to say, now let's talk about Largent. And is he going to just, is he going to go, oh, yeah, Largent. Sighing and groaning. But that is what is being implied in the text. God 
and the minister and the one who is to follow. And God is saying to the minister, what about this follower? And the, and the minister saying, well, well, this brother or sister, they, they, they were endeavoring to be obedient to the scriptures, to your joy. Or you can see the minister groaning and sighing, oh, this was, this was a tough one. Now again, folks, we understand, right? I mean, you know, there's just there are just so many factors in this in American churches that don't even come in into the Bible story, right? So just you know, I'm just going to get a different pastor. I don't like that one. Going to get a different pastor. Those were not genuinely options to to the New Testament churches. But it is unprofitable to the follower. It is unprofitable to the follower. Now look, folks, let's remember that there's a New Testament framework to this because when I read through those Old Testament passages and the word of the Lord came to Nathan and the word of the Lord came to Jehu and the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Not everybody else had that word, but you have the same words that I have. You're sitting there with an open Bible in your lap that says exactly what mine does. There's, you know, in, in, in those of you that taught or in, in school, you know this, right? You know, there's a student book and then the teacher has the teacher's edition of the book. It has a lot more information. It has all the answers to the questions. But there's no, there's no pastor's edition of the Bible. Right? We all have the same Bible. You have the Bible that I have. I have the Bible that you have. So you have access to the word of God and you have access to the same word that I have and yet it is the will of the Lord that God's congregations have spiritual leaders. And that leadership is exercised in the proclamation of the word. And that again is beyond simply providing facts but exhorting to right conduct and rebuking correct, incorrect conduct. And faithful believers are not really then simply submitting themselves to a man. They are submitting themselves to the Lord. We are not, I'm not, and I don't think that you are. And there's a sense, folks, in which I realized, because I would argue this to be true, that within the, you know, individual members at individual times, problems. But, you know, 38 years of, of ministry tra trajectory, this is a church that listens to the pastor. That's what it was when I came in 1984. One of the deacons said, rightly, we're a church that is used to following the pastor. 38 years later, that is still true. Faithful believers submit themselves to God and to his word by submitting to God's faithful ministers. If there's any distinction in the book of Hebrews, 
It is that these people are finding themselves, by virtue of their circumstances, greatly tempted to run away from the advice of their instructors. Many of them don't want to do what they're being told to do. They think they have found an easier way or a better way. And so the pastor must remind them that he is watching out for their soul. I mean, we've run through the scenarios, folks, right? They've been, they are in the process of being, or they have a recent history of being persecuted for their Christianity, and maybe we should stop meeting as a church. And maybe we should make less of Jesus. And maybe we should make more of Judaism. And their pastor is going, no, you can't do that. You you have to understand what is at stake here. And this might be a reflection upon the fact that you don't really believe in Jesus. And you've got to factor that into your conduct. But it will be joyful for you at the end if you do what we say. Because, folks, it's always best for all of us to do what the Lord says. Let's pray. Well, Father, then certainly, not just for myself, but for all pastors and all who will someday be pastors and any who will someday stand in this pulpit and other pulpits, may we be the most faithful to studying and understanding the words of the text of Scripture. That we might speak them to your people faithfully and accurately and that we might have a track record of striving to live that which we proclaim. And then, Father, to all who follow, to do what you tell us to do. In the knowledge that those who are their spiritual leaders are not looking out for themselves, but are watching out for the souls of the congregation. Do that work in us, please. In Jesus' name, amen.